0: Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from West Hollywood, California, where it is mostly sunny and a nice Tuesday afternoon. Hope everyone had an amazing Memorial Day weekend holiday. Uh, I had an awesome time hanging out in Miami for a couple of days, uh, even better. My Bucks beat Miami while I was in Miami. So I got to wear my uh, swag around and uh, my Bucks swag and uh, kind of talk a little trash to a few people that I ran into. So that was, uh, that was good times, uh, but it's good to be back. And uh, for today, uh, we've got a really awesome guest um, that I'm excited to have on the podcast today. Uh, He is currently the founding partner of the strategy organization uh, and has been in marketing for Station Casinos, MGM Resorts International, um, and several other great brand name companies within the gaming space um, and industry. And so I would like to welcome to the podcast, Josh Swissman. Uh, How are you doing today, Josh? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Mark. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, like I mentioned uh, here a second ago, your background is most impressive in terms of all the things that you've done within the casino and gaming industry. And uh, again, just very excited to have you on today. So why don't we start with kind of some of the things that you're currently doing at uh, your current company, which is the strategy organization that you founded, maybe tell us more about what uh, the strategy organization does, why you left some of these amazing brand name companies to start the strategy organization. Um and uh, you know what you've been doing there uh, for the past uh, year plus.
1: Ooh, all right, that's a lot to unpack, but let's get started. Let's um, do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we at the strategy organization really we like to think of ourselves as a, as a, a consulting firm that provides a full sort of three hundred sixty degree, and I know that's uh, that's become cliche to say, but uh, really a full suite. Of services to mid-market casino operations around the country, uh, whether those are the actual land-based casinos or uh, companies that are working alongside those land-based casinos. So, what I mean by that is we provide everything from uh, marketing services to non-gaming operations, gaming operations, food and beverage, finance, accounting, strategy. Really, really, we can we can run the whole gamut there, and. Um, you know we're we're happy with providing that high level strategic advisory type service, but at the same time we can work at the other end of the spectrum there, and we're just as happy rolling up our sleeves and and working alongside property teams or company teams to execute against plans that you know that we created or that uh, that that the properties or the companies have created on their own. So there's not much that we can't do in that in that mid market. Um, casino operation size
0: got it and does that include all of the digital marketing social media influencer marketing uh, loyalty programs um, does it white cover kind of the content marketing like podcasts and um, and uh, you know blogging and that sort of thing uh, or do you mostly stick to loyalty programs and or on-site on-premise marketing uh, that you know actual uh, casino goers would actually encounter and run into
1: yeah it's a good question um and we're certainly able to um provide direction around things like podcasts and blog posts uh you know i've certainly managed uh more than my fair share of of blog posts uh and and blogs in general throughout my career and um so so that that's probably where we we sit more at the kind of the advisory uh type level but when it comes to direct marketing loyalty programs retention marketing strategies, acquisition um, strategies, media, and all of the other marketing facets, we really can work all the way up and down the spectrum of of high-level advisory down to um, actual execution of plans. And, And that's really come from our team's history, you know you, you mentioned that um, you know I've had the pleasure of working for a number of great leaders and great gaming organizations throughout my career. The other, the other partners on the team have as well. And so we bring a wealth of experience that others in the gaming hospitality consulting space, uh, don't necessarily bring or, or um, don't have as fresh of, uh, of an operation uh, experience and an operator's mindset as, as we do. So um, we really can cut across all of those facets of marketing.
0: That's awesome. And then, you know, given the fact that you worked at some of these really, you know, large, you know, big name brands uh, within the industry like MGM, like Stations, you know, what kind of prompted you about a year and a half ago to say, hey, I want to go out on our own and you know, uh, really provide you know, advisory and consulting services to whomever might need those services versus focusing on one specific brand at a time?
1: It's a pretty interesting um, story. The original thesis for the strategy organization really didn't have much to do with everything that I just told you that that, that we do so well. Um, in fact, the real reason why we started the group, it was myself, uh, another founding partner, a guy named Matthew Chilton, and a third founding partner, a gentleman named Seth Shore. The three of us were were talking, and as we Sort of looked out across the the gaming landscape, and we are talking, you know, land based operations, both in Las Vegas. We're all based in Las Vegas, both in Las Vegas and outside of Las Vegas. We saw a lot of new investment money coming into the gaming space. Right, we saw a lot of uh, investors and 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 companies in general that just didn't have as much gaming experience as perhaps some of the uh, the pre existing operators had. And so what we saw there was an opportunity, right? We actually saw three different levels of opportunities there. First, we saw, uh, we saw an opportunity to provide some great market study and feasibility research work for these new investors that were coming into the space again because they weren't uh, quite as experienced as, as some of the other operators out there. At the same time, to the extent they ended up Acquiring assets, there was a transition planning opportunity that we saw as they assumed ownership of of these new gaming assets. And if we did the 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 feasibility work well, and we we um, you know transition planned accordingly, we thought that that could potentially lead way to longer term operating and, and management agreements with these new investors. So that was the that was the original approach for the strategy organization. That was in February of, uh, actually, it was late January of 2020, which feels like a million years ago now. Um, with uh, with uh, COVID being what it has been, and, and the pandemic uh, changing everybody's lives, we too had to change, and so we pivoted uh, really to focus more on those casinos that have been shut down for. Um, well, I mean, they're they're some that are actually still shut down today, I believe, um, as they begin to rethink their operating models and open their doors again, that's where we thought we could jump in and help. And that's why we pivoted to that more complete suite of services that we offer today in and around land-based gaming.
0: Yeah, and like, what was that like trying to convince tourism during a pandemic when you know nobody wanted to leave their homes, let alone travel across the country, across the world, uh, to be in crowded spaces like Las Vegas? Uh, or casinos, uh, you know, was it mostly focusing on locals and bringing them out? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a period of time where you couldn't do anything. But, you know, starting about last summer, last fall, when places started, yep. some places started opening up just in, you know, maybe limited capacity, there was certainly a, ability to take those customers. Uh, so what types of things did you do to attract those customers? Um, what worked? What didn't? would love to kind of hear, you know, what that strategy looked like. Um, just because it was such obviously a big one-off, given the pandemic.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it, it really was tough for a long time, and and in many ways, it's still tough even uh, even to this day. You know, you hear great stories about Las Vegas and gaming industry in general, shoot the tourism industry in general, really starting to bounce back, and and that is that is true uh, in in many ways, um, but there are still parts of the business in las vegas namely the group business the convention business uh that travel typically during the middle of the week that um that are going to be slower to return and so all of these operators are are experiencing great numbers uh in terms of occupancy and and revenue and profit on the weekends especially Mm -hmm. weekends like last weekend uh it was it was off the charts um awesome here in vegas but they're still struggling with uh, with with finding critical mass and and operational efficiencies from um, Monday through Thursday. So so there are still some challenges there. Um, at the same time, if you if you rewind back to last summer. There was uh, there were really sort of there was a different messaging strategy that we were out there advocating for and, and saw many in the gaming industry, both in Vegas and around the country, employing. And there was this there was this um, sort of three part strategy that uh, that we were pushing. The first one, uh, first part of the strategy, obviously had to do with health, safety, security, and sanitation, as everyone was wondering. You know what this pandemic was ultimately going to look like, and what business as as businesses started to reopen again was going to look like. Communicating to uh, the public that these casinos were safe, that they were secure, um, that they were in fact healthy places to be in terms of uh, sanitation procedures and cleaning protocols, uh, and and you know capacity restrictions and the like was a very important component that needed to be. Um, Communicated to the public. At the same time, that's not the sexiest thing to talk about. Right. So uh, you had to you had to couch it in a way that was fun and exciting and energizing, Um, all the things that attract people to the gaming industry in the first place as tourists. So uh, that that in and of itself was tough. Um, At the same time, there was a second strategy there that um, you know this communicating this notion of an escape. And and a getaway. I think as people were cooped up in their homes, uh, self-isolating, social distancing, quarantining, um, then and even now more than ever, right, people need to get out of their houses and um, really enjoy themselves um, and, and just remember what life was like when, when you were able to go out and have a good time, even if that good time looks a little bit different now than it did um, you know, this time last year or two years ago. So the notion of escape was something that we thought was important. And then mm-hmm. the other thing that, um, and this one's a tough one to to position as well, but the notion of value was one that we thought was important to put out there in marketing campaigns as well. And what I'm not talking about is like these really deep discounts and just cheapening uh, the experience and and the products and the assets and the services that are out there, but providing value around uh, those services that are offered, um, and really just aligning people's expectations of uh, of those products and services with the prices that were being offered there. And again, that's much easier um, said than done, and I saw it done very well um, by by a handful of of companies out there. Uh, MGM Resorts, I thought, did a great job of that. And and, uh, Hard Rock, um, just in general, did a good job of positioning all of that as well. But I also saw some uh, companies out there that just really missed the mark in terms of communicating that fun, value-driven experience. Um, And it ended up just feeling like a very clinical, um, very price-driven, uh, very discount oriented sort of experience. And that's the last thing that anybody wants. And at the same time, if you're an operator, that's a really tough hole to dig yourself out of, um, mm-hmm. because it only takes a, you know, a short amount of time to, to really cheapen an experience, but to claw away and grow that, um, that expectation of high perceived value, uh, and thus high cost and high worth, it takes a long, long time. Right. Now, obviously, as we started to emerge out of the pandemic, uh, December,
0: January, people were starting to get vaccinated. And now we're in a really good spot where 48 out of the 50 states have lifted their mask mandates and social distancing requirements. And I mean, Vegas, mm-hmm. from my, uh, you know, uh, point of view, looks like it's pretty darn, as you mentioned, on the weekends, at least back to normal Um maybe some of the concerts are still yet to come back, but they're they're already scheduled and slated to come back this summer and this fall and all that good sure. stuff. So does it feel to you like, Hey, it's business as usual and pre pandemic normal on the weekends. And now you just have to figure out the business crowd during the week. Um, or is there still a little ways to go on the weekends? Um, kind of give us like the lay of the land, uh, both between the, you know, leisure crowd um, that is looking for experiences and looking to, you know, go visit the Vegas of old pre-pandemic and what that looks like for
1: the business crowd, like Monday through Thursday, as you mentioned. Sure, sure. Um, I won't say that it's business as usual on the weekends yet, but we are fast approaching uh, business as usual. There there are still, uh, you know, many, many um, casinos up and down the strip where uh, they're requiring their employees to wear masks, uh, which is fine, right? Um, Especially if those employees aren't vaccinated. most of the casinos in Vegas now are allowing guests to come in without masks, of course, as long as they're vaccinated. Um, there, there, there are still some entertainment components that uh, that need to come back to really sort of truly bring Vegas back to life. And of course, I'm talking about all of the new sporting events um, that we've uh, we've grown accustomed to, all of the show and entertainment offerings. Um, because those are those are only slowly starting to come back and of course there is a there is a nightclub and a day club component to what makes mm-hmm. Las Vegas um, you know a truly unique experience and those are starting to come back but um, not quite um, with the velocity that say you know hundred percent capacity in your your favorite steakhouse um, has has started to um really uh, uh, come back to the to, to the Las Vegas um, sort of experience. So um, there are some things that, uh, that will come back a little bit more slowly. And I think that's okay, right? Those are definitely some of the more densely populated uh, experiences that might be a little bit tougher to control in terms of social distancing and the like. So um, I think everyone's okay with that. And I think more importantly, everyone's been pleased, as is evidenced by the by the huge visitation numbers from last week that, um, that, uh, that Vegas is, is experiencing.
0: Yeah. My casino host at the Mirage said that they've been full almost every weekend for like the past month now.
1: Yeah. And, and to couple that you've got, um, you know, folks like the senior leaders at, uh, with Caesars, um, that have been saying that basically for all intents and purposes, they're sold out for every single weekend this summer. Right. Um, that's not to say that you won't be able to find a room at, at Caesars Palace, um, you know, on a Friday or Saturday, um, for the rest of the summer, but based on their pacing expectations, they think they're going to be sold out, um, the entire season, which I think is great. Uh, I think it's great, particularly because summer is, um, it, there's, there's a bit of a lull in Las Vegas, right? It's, it's hotter here. Um, you know, People that have uh, kids in school uh, have, have have their children out on summer breaks. So sometimes travel plans put them in other directions besides Las Vegas. Um, you know, it's not a super dense convention um, season in, in the summer as well. But, man, I think that this summer is going to be just uh, completely the opposite of that. You're going to see just a ton of volume coming, um, not only on the weekends, but I think you'll start to see some of that midweek volume come in that'll actually be made up by mostly tourists um, because there's that gap there talking about the business uh, community that, that typically comes to Vegas as well. And um, with folks having more flexibility around their work schedules. And again, with kids being out of school, I think that uh, this summer is going to be one of the busiest um, summers on record.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I've actually been, you know, traveling kind of for like the last six nine months, and honestly, most of the flights I've been on have been full. Um, you know, people are ready to get out. Uh, people don't want to be cooped up at not just home anymore, but in their hometown. Uh, and they want to be traveling. And I think maybe some of the hesitation initially, at least my perception perception was, is, you know, people are going to go to Vegas. They want to have like the typical Vegas experience. They may not want to go and be masks all day sitting in a slot machine or to have plexiglass at a table, even though obviously that was a safer route previously. Um, They they wanted to wait until Vegas was Vegas. Um, And so I think now they see that it is that way and they're like, oh, shit, let's go. Um, And of course that final hurdle will be, as you mentioned, the nightclub experience, obviously sporting events and uh, shows, you know, um, you know, so concerts and, uh, you know, other shows like Cirque du Soleil and stuff like that, you know, being back in full force. Um, so I think, and I have seen, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, like for example, Oh, I know is back at, uh, Bellagio and, Bellagio, uh, yep. yeah. And others are coming back here. So I think it's pretty darn, it feels like it, it feels like for sure, for sure, for sure by Labor day, it feels like the leisure crowd is going to be truly, truly back to normal. Um, but then that leads us to the, to the business crowd and the conventions and, and, uh, conferences and stuff, you know, uh, so I was invited to, uh, I believe it's G2E is going to be in October. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's going to be in person. Um, so that's already kind of set. Do you see more conferences and conventions starting to get lined up for the weekday or what is that starting to look like, even though I know it might be slower than normal?
1: Yeah, yeah. So just to paint a picture of of what the the group business generally looks like on the Las Vegas Strip, it's, pardon me, it's a combination of a few different types of customers. You have um, small groups, which might just be, you know, a single office uh, or, or small business taking a, a business trip to Las Vegas to uh, get everyone together, meet in some meeting rooms, and accomplish whatever objectives they need. Um, you know, under under twenty rooms, um, certainly under fifty rooms. I think that business is is starting to bounce back uh, much more quickly. There's a lot less in terms of logistics there. There was uh, there was there was less in terms of really sort of potential negative impacts of of um, Capacity constraints that could affect those smaller groups. So I think those started to come back, um, even even as early as as a couple months ago. But there aren't a ton, you know. That that's not uh, the vast majority of of the volume there. Um, I think then you you go on to have some of these smaller conferences, which um, typically can be housed in one casino uh, or one one casino resort. Uh, you know that'll that'll have uh, hundreds of uh, rooms occupied on any given night, uh, maybe even you know in, into the, the thousand plus um, rooms occupied per night category. And that takes on a much bigger uh, experience that requires a little bit more in terms of uh, lead time, as far as planning. Um, there's a little bit more certainty that needs to be understood around what the new operating protocols are, what the new capacity constraints might be. And so for those reasons, You'll, you'll, you'll start to see some of that business come online, you know, broadly in the next couple of months or so. Um, and then there are the big ones, right? What we call citywide events, which are events that um, are, are so big they can't be contained within a single casino resort like G2E that you mentioned, right? right? Um, G2E has, uh, you know, hundreds hundreds of thousands of um 100,000, 150,000 uh, constituents that typically uh, attend a G2E show. And so there is a whole lot in terms of logistics and planning that has to happen there, um, not only with uh, the, the the facility where the convention is housed, but also with all of the um, partnering hotels that are going to house all those constituents. So those, on you know, before the pandemic, those took um the better part of 12 months to to plan out um and to to communicate and to book um so those those won't really start to come back to the volume that you saw them historically i think until the uh very end of this year or the beginning of next year now there are the there are the the one-offs like there's a there's a big show actually um coming to town this month in June, the World of Concrete show, which is a big citywide show. Of course, there's G2E in October. And there may be one or two others that are um that that are big citywide events that you see happening as we move into the fall. But we won't be on that huge um regularly recurring citywide schedule that you see until at least next year, I think. So that's that's mm-hmm. how group business shakes out and that's that's sort of the order that it comes back um In terms of Las Vegas visitation,
0: as well. That makes sense. So I know that you did some work in New Jersey when you were working at MGM uh, Resorts International. Um, So, you know, were you doing, were you working on any other states? Uh, Obviously, so, you know, sports betting became legal across the rest of the U S just about the time I think you were leaving there. So maybe not. Um, but now we're, we're down, we're up to 27 States that have legalized sports betting, um, and others that are of (laughs) course, uh, you know, legalizing other casino gaming. So for strategy organization, are you, uh, working with any customers and partners outside of Nevada or is it strictly just Nevada focus or what does that, um, you know, geographic territory look like for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually my, my time with MGM in New Jersey, I, I was, um, I was working in the iGaming space. Um true, it was before sports wagering was was legalized, but mm-hmm. um MGM Resorts, um, through their Borgata property, had a pretty healthy uh online gaming, online poker business. And of course, there was mobile wagering uh, allowed on sports in Nevada, which I was responsible for towards the end of my career with MGM. Uh, and I also oversaw the social gaming and uh esports goings on. Um with MGM as well, so um, that that was the cool thing about working for that company is you got yeah. to do and experience so much, and uh, yeah, work work all over the world really. Now, as it relates to the strategy organization, um, you know, not not much has changed actually. There are, you know, if I look at some of the the um, groups that we're doing business with now, um, one one is based in the UK. It's a, it's an amusement sort of food and beverage operation that's looking to expand its operations to the states Um, so we're doing some some early stage work for them um, particularly as it relates to las vegas on top of that there's uh there's a massive um company it's a it's about a 60 billion dollar market cap company called global payments which has uh, a handful of gaming products that um have been in the market for a while and they're rolling out some new cashless gaming products uh and so we're we're helping with their go-to-market strategy for those products and um the gaming division is based in vegas the company as a whole is based in in georgia and they're they're rolling out their products strategically across the country so um you know that gets us uh exposure outside of nevada and outside of las vegas um you know, there's another great company that we're working with called Better which is a, a sports um, marketing media uh, organization, and um, they're up and running in in hundreds of. Actually, I think they they might be at the they might have just passed the 500 mark in terms of um, outlets that their products are featured in. And again, that's all around the country and uh, places like Hooters and Bolero and and all sorts of other. Uh, great places. So, so I've really been impressed with um, not only um, the geographic sort of distribution of what we've um, been able to work on, but you can tell, you know, those aren't the traditional gaming companies, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely not the traditional land-based brick and mortar operators um, that you might think of. And, and, um, you know, that has been, that has been sort of a third phase of growth for the strategy organization is that we, um, we aren't just, Strictly in the land-based space, we're spending a lot of time with um, new tech startups um, that are that are adjacent to those land-based operators, and working in concert with them, as well as some of these huge, you know, Fortune 500 established companies that are in the gaming space but aren't land-based operators. So it's it's just it's been an exciting ride for us over the last 15 months or so.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, if you're working now with brands that are adjacent to but not directly in the Uh, gaming industry, uh, payments come to mind, Uh, of course, media comes to mind uh, and other, you know, verticals, Um, you know, I I guess from a a transition standpoint, what's that, what's that been like to focusing mostly on brick and mortar gaming operations to maybe also possibly, you know, working with payment companies that serve, um, you know, this industry, because there's obviously, you know, a lot of challenges. I mean, just specifically with regards to payments, you know, there's a lot of traditional financial institutions that, you know, hate dealing with this industry. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we've focused on cryptocurrencies at Zen Sports is because, yes. uh, bank, I, you know, banks don't want to work with us and merchant payment processors don't want to work with us and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating, but I guess from your perspective, must also be pretty unique and challenging uh, to, to be able to, you know, kind of work with some of those uh, brands and figure out ways to, you know, get around some of those challenges and, and try to help them out.
1: It has been. And, and um, you know, we bring a a really sort of grassroots boots on the ground type level of experience so that we can help these organizations think like these land-based operators would think, which is um, incredibly important to them from a, from a brand and product positioning standpoint. And so while it, while it might, Sound at first like it's uh, it's it's a little bit disjointed. It actually has felt quite natural um, and has really been uh, mutually beneficial, not only for us but for um, you know those non land based clients that we work for. So uh, we uh, th- there wasn't uh, there wasn't really the learning curve that you might think would be there wasn't there at all. Um, in fact, it, it it all it all picked up quite quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, another question I have to ask on the marketing side of things, and this is something we run into all the time is, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, newer digital, uh, I shouldn't even say newer, but just digital, uh, you know, media properties like Facebook, like Twitter, they also hate, you know, allowing gambling and gaming products to advertise with them, right. And they make it very difficult uh, to advertise with them. I mean, I think it was just about a year and a half ago maybe two years ago, where Google finally started allowing uh, AdWords for uh, licensed yeah. gaming uh, properties and whatnot. So how do you also work around a lot of those challenges where there's where you're closed off to certain marketing channels that traditional
1: industries are not closed off to? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, you know, I've been in this business for over 20 years, and this the gaming industry was built around being resilient, and when people have said no, finding a, a, right. a way forward. Um, so this, this doesn't feel like anything new to me. Um, you know, when, uh, when, when you have, um, difficulties getting, um, getting your message out because, you know, historically Google wouldn't allow you to buy, um, AdWords in a particular category. You just, uh, you know, you can, you can sort of reinvent yourself, especially in the land based world as more of a hospitality, um you know, experiential entertainment driven organization, which um, is actually suited um, suited the land based gaming industry pretty well, particularly in destination markets like like the strip in Las Vegas. So um, it's just, you know, my whole life has been a, a, a matter of sort of sticking and moving. And, um, you know, when one when one obstacle is thrown at you really just, um, using that obstacle as a way to just get smarter about your approach to the business and ultimately improving. Sounds like our world. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, we have to be super creative too. I mean, on the content side and, you know, the way we frame ourselves and, you know, which partners we can and cannot work with, and just kind of all that stuff is, uh, it's, it's, it's something I've never dealt with in all my years of, of working in tech and outside of tech actually. Um, and so at first you kind of almost are scared by it. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, am I going to be allowed to even get this product out there? Um, but then, you know, you recognize that um, while the world is catching up pretty quickly, I think to, you know, just vice in general. Um, I mean, that, the fact that we're now up to 27 states with legalized sports betting is just a testament to that. Right. Um, yep. Not everyone is still there. And, you know, this gets into a little bit of a different subject, but one I think that's also interesting from a marketing perspective is, you know, is responsible gaming, is licensed gaming, uh, and stuff like that. So, like, for example, and I'm curious to get your take on this, like, when people come to me and say, well, you know, I mean, do you really feel good about offering a gambling product? And I say, actually, offering a licensed, uh, legalized product that meets certain standards and requirements is very gratifying because people are going to gamble whether you offer that to them or not it's much better to bring that stuff above ground than to have it shady and below ground and you know cause all sorts of you know potential legal or other uh you know types of of issues um and it's the same thing i I think kind of would go on the marketing side right you know you know uh marketing it is as responsible gaming there's always responsible gaming language in all the materials i've seen in vegas those things at mgm now where they have like the the cute posters of like, um, you know, some things aren't, are, aren't certain, but the house always wins, you know, stuff like that to, you know, just kind of like reinforce to people that, you know, this, you know, this is gambling, but to do it responsibly uh, and to do it in a controlled environment. And I'm just kind of curious, like what your thoughts are around that marketing piece and uh, whatnot uh, just, you know, because that is definitely, I think something that people, Care about as we look to legalize more and more and more of this and make it more mainstream and, and easier for people to access. They're going to care about those things.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you, Mark. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, uh, any any chance that I get to dispel the myth that um you know the 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 folks that are involved in gaming, whether it's whether it's online or offline, that they're just these you know these cowboys out there, um you know just uh, trying to trying to steal every last dollar from anybody that crosses their paths is just right. Man, man, there couldn't be anything further from the truth, right? Um, you take a look at, uh, you know, you mentioned MGM Resorts, just the level of, of investment that they've made into companies like Game Sense, which um, now are are sort of worldwide standards for what responsible gaming should look like. Um, you know, when when you when you put things in that light, the the marketing story, it, I mean, it really it sort of tells itself, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you hear people that, um, you know, world-class uh, ep- epidemiologists, going back to sort of early days of COVID here, but when you have world-class e- epidemiologists that say that there aren't many uh, places on the, you know, in the country that are as safe as some of these, um, you know, big integrated casino resorts on the Las Vegas Strip are, mm-hmm. uh, again, that story just kind of tells itself once, once those facts are, are brought to life. You take a look at, what you and and other um, uh, you know iGaming providers are doing in terms of just the sheer you know wealth of data that you have and building uh, responsible gaming experiences around that, uh, as well as all the tax dollars that are generated for for improvements in all of these cities mm-hmm. um, around the country. And again, it just when 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 those facts come to light, the the story really tells itself. So those are those are. Um, Types of messages that not only do I enjoy telling, um, for a number of different reasons, but at the end of the day, they're, they're they're pretty easy stories to tell too because everyone can relate, everyone can understand what um, what is going on out there, and once once people get their heads wrapped around it, um, mm-hmm. it actually is a pretty easy story to understand.
0: Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Like, I mean, you just see it when you go to these places or you see it online, and also I think too, like. Um, And just talking to other industry insiders, you know, one of the things that they always say is they want customers to get value for whatever the amount they spend. So whether they come in with $500 or 5,000, they want them to get the value for whatever that is. And, you know, that's why you obviously have comp programs, right? To reward people for their play. So if they're spending this, they should be getting X, Y, Z in return um, type of thing. And so I, 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 and by the way, it's not cheap to run these operations. I mean, you've got massive, massive amounts of security, as you mentioned, um, you know, people that are running these things. I mean, people just kind of assume that a casino operation is just a, is a money printing machine. and I mean, it's all gravy. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just not, there's a lot that goes into all of it, um, you know, to provide those experiences and to do it safely. So, um, yep. you know, I, I think that's, it's, it's good. It's good to see that the you know big brands care about that and that you do too. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. So I guess my kind of final question as we wrap up here in the next couple of minutes is, you know, where do you see um, this industry heading in the next three to five years? Obviously, you know, we should assume post-COVID, we should assume back to normal as it looks like we're 90% there, 95% there. Um, You know, where do you see this industry heading, uh, whether it be, you know, morphing more to online, whether you see it morphing more into uh, different types of experiences. We'll love to get your take, having seen it for the last... You know, fifteen or so years, and and where do you see it going in the next three or five?
1: Oh, I dream about this kind of stuff. I love talking about it. Um, <laughs> I, w- what I see is, um, and it's interesting when you said this industry, you didn't really specify whether it's land based or or online gaming. Um, Could be both, or, either or one. Exactly. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have the same answer for both, and that is that I see um, a world, particularly as as the regulatory environment um, and the legislative environment around the, the country and around the world for that matter um, heats up, at least with regards to, um, to sports betting, I see um, ubiquity really is what I see and, and convergence. And what I mean by that is um, I see a world where this, uh, you know, it's become a little bit of a buzzword now, but this whole notion of the omni-channel experience or, you know, moving people from bricks to clicks and clicks back to bricks. Um, I, I really do believe in that, right? Um, I, I see uh, the utilization of, of wagering for um, the enjoyment of whatever experience you're, you're trying to enjoy, whether that's, um, you know, going to Vegas for, for, for a weekend with your buddies or watching your favorite, um, you know, sporting event at home. Uh, With your family in your living room, I I see that um, you know those types of experiences all converge, and um, I see the notion of really comprehensive loyalty and and um, data analytics and marketing enveloping all of those experiences. And I think if um, you're, you're 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 you know you you squint and you look further out on the time horizon and wonder what the, the companies that, that, that will win down the road, what they look like, those, those are gonna be the winners, right? They offer great experiences in their facilities. They offer um, commensurate experiences when those customers are at home, with their families in, you know, in states outside of Las Vegas. Um, uh, you know, I'll speak just from a, a Las Vegas centric standpoint, but this is, this is much bigger than Vegas, right? And to the extent that they can offer customized experiences to those folks in, in both of those places and recognize the, the loyalty and the patronage of, of those folks um, in both of those places, you know, in, on property and at home, um, and, and can couple those um, wagering or gaming experiences with non-gaming experiences that are, that are really tailor-made to, um, to what you know, an individual customer wants. Uh, that, that is going to be um, the type of company that wins in the future, right? Um, that's going to be the type of company that um, in this incredibly noisy market, which is getting even more noisy by the minute, um, that's going to be the type of company that cuts through and can really build loyalty in this, um, you know, hyper segmented, super information driven, <laughs> you know, you live in eight second sound bites um, mm-hmm. sort of way. That's the company that's going to win.
0: Yeah, and I also think uh, to dovetail off that point, you know, those that offer the most clarity around their loyalty programs and those that make it the easiest to book award, you know, uh, experiences and stuff like that, right? Those are the ones that ultimately, I think, will really win because it's one thing to offer loyalty. It's one thing to offer an integrated experience, but if it's not easy to use, if the user experience itself is convoluted or difficult or difficult to understand, or people just can't relate to how it is set up or how to use it, you know, that um, you know, creates problems. And I've seen it before, like in the airline industry too. You know, some airlines do an amazing job of making it super duper clear exactly how the whole thing works and they make it easy to, you know, uh, book award travel as an example or whatever it might be. Um, And, uh, and then there's others that don't, it feels like those that don't have a problem. And then I also think, I also think too, like, for example, like I, you know, I actually stay at the Mirage, I have an amazing casino host that's there, you know, I, I spend a little bit more money, but I get this extra personal touch and concierge experience. And so, you know, understanding what that looks like too, um, you know, for those that, you know, warrant that is, I think also really important. And, you know, that's what keeps me going to the same place, you know, over again, uh, is, you know, blending, blending the technology piece with the personal customer experience um, if needed um, is just, is great. So yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully obviously more operators than not realize that and recognize that and are able to do it. One question, one of the questions I do have for you though is, I mean, you see, you see places like Circa and others like, Kind of building out these like massive digital entertainment facilities, like for esports and whatever else it might be. Do you is there? Do you have any kind of opinion or take on that? Do you see some places like the Golden Nugget just completely kind of staying old school and wanting to say you know catering to a different demographic, while others like Circa go after you know Gen Z, Gen Y, that sort of thing, uh, and how those might converge?
1: Yeah, I um I, I do think that there is a there's a big bright future in in um. The intersection of esports and and um, sports wagering, for sure. And I think um, you know, as uh, as as Gen Z and Gen Y as, as they start to to mature and as disposable income um, starts to to land in their pockets, I think you'll see instead of it just being an easy buzzword for everyone to say, "Of course, esports is the future." I think you'll really start to see um, some of the bigger operators put their money where their mouth is and, um, really start to spend a lot of time thinking about how to cater to these groups, um, because they behave completely differently than, um, you know, the generation X and and baby boomers and, and generations before them, uh, behave when they, when they come to Las Vegas, (laughs) both from a gaming standpoint and from a, from a non-gaming standpoint. So I think that, um, for, for the industry to stay ahead of that curve, um, whether we're talking about brick and mortar experiences or online experiences uh, and interactive experiences, I think is, is important. And I don't think anyone's really, really cracked a code on that one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know we need more smart people thinking about that stuff. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm Gen X and I love sitting at a pie table, but I don't know how many 19 year olds would like to. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm totally supportive of uh, of all the, you know, longstanding table games and um, activities, but I know that their appetite you know, might be uh, geared more towards, you know, digital machines and digital sports and uh, whatnot. So, uh, which obviously, you know, there's a place for. It. So I think it, it'll it be really interesting to see how it's all kind of morphs in the next five years. I think it's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, Josh, I mean, you've, for been sure. amaz- you've been an amazing guest today. I really, I really appreciate you being on uh, you answer a lot of my questions. I know our audience is going to be excited to, uh, to hear all the insider, kind of info you've got on the marketing uh space within this within the gaming industry and so uh thanks again for making the time today we really appreciate it
1: yeah happy to do it mark thank you so much for uh for having me this has been great